Hello, and welcome to the Permanent Good Podcast, a podcast that's part movie club, part improv comedy. My name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. I want to start this off by questioning, how is Subway in business? Not only how is Subway in business, because um, I'm asking the, same, asking the same question. Don't they have more locations? Like, they passed McDonald's, right? I... Wasn't that a big have whole no marketing idea. thing? I have no idea. Right, I'll, I'll check that one. Okay. Now, let's talk about the two things that Subway is famous for. Subway is famous for two things. One, a nefarious spokesperson. Not their fault. Yep. However, they did face a brunt of that controversy. Two, the $5 footlong, which, if I am correct, <laughs> not a thing anymore. And hasn't nope. been for five plus years. So Subway is officially the largest restaurant chain in the world. That is not. That's nothing. Uh, like I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying they don't deserve it. Thirty-seven thousand locations in over a hundred countries, and they're based on a freaking lie. The five-dollar foot dong. Not by the way. The five hundred five-dollar uh, foot long. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> the five-dollar foot long. I'm not sure has ever been a thing. It was because like it once you got a, once you have to pick like the most basic version. You can't put anything crazy on it because obviously it pushes over the five dollars. Also, once you add like taxes, it's six bucks. I don't think it was ever five dollars. I think it was like five dollars fifty cents. They're like it's like a five range. <laughs> it, I always felt ripped off when I walked out of there being like, how is it, how am I how am I eight dollars short right now? The fact that you are getting upset that they don't market the tax in their advertisement, thats I think that's a weird thing to, to go in on them Actual for. Actual cost. First of all, I'm not the only American doing this. So it might be a dumb American thing, but I'm not the only dumb American doing it. I'm literally Googling everything this episode. Five dollar foot long. I just feel like it was only select ones. Okay. The cold cut combo and the veggie delight were the only 12-inch still offered as $5. Everything else is more expensive. And not only is it more expensive, it's way more expensive. Yeah. I remember walking out there being like, that was like, that was 10 bucks. That was 11 bucks. Whack, bro. Whack. And so I, I'm just baffled by this entity that seems to only exist in the worst literal brick and mortar stores you've ever seen on the planet. And yep. also the brick is fake. And- Nine times out of 10. It looks fake. It is fake or it looks fake. And the other place that they reside is the only chained restaurant in an otherwise local but dying food court in a mall. And somehow they still manage to employ. I know several. I have several friends that worked at Subway. That's crazy. I should know no people that worked at Subway because Subway is an anomaly in the economic and nutritional businesses. Okay. Apparently Subway peaked like in revenue, like 2013, 2014, which tracks and it's just gone downhill from there. Now it looks like it's plateauing a little bit, but 2013, 2014 was its heyday. Also, can we all agree that Jimmy John's is better? Just like Are we all on the same page? Any place, you know, Jimmy John's, Jersey Mike. Remember Quiznos? Like, yeah. I remember being a kid and not fully understanding the difference between Quiznos and Cadoba because in our town they were open next to each other for a while, and I was confused about the concept of both. Um, but all this to say, this is not important. It was just on my mind, and it's a mystery to me. Let's 
carry on with our um, mission, I guess we should call it, where Alex and I are watching all the Transformers movies. Oh, man. We're talking about three and four, which is Dark of the Moon and Age of Extinction, respectively. If you don't want to hear us talk about these movies, you can go to this time code right here, because we will be spoiling the heck out of them all. Time code, 40 minutes and 50 seconds. Okay, so I don't normally take notes anymore for this show, because I have we've been doing this long enough to where I don't really feel the need to write notes. I still do it on Small and Tall, because we do it in bunches. Um, I had to take thorough notes on these movies because there is so much to say about both of them. Now, let me be clear. None of my notes are plot related. I do not remember what happened in these movies, but I do know that Dark of the Moon starts with a JFK deep fake, and I don't know how to feel about that. It was bad. Not only was the JFK... Dude, it's so unbelievable because they use real footage, and then it cuts to an obvious impersonator and it's rough also there's a bunch of presidents i think they do a deep fake of nixon as well none of it's believable and like i'm like i don't think jfk's hair was that color i don't think his face looked like that it was bad bro and this is how the movie starts the movie starts with this and it i just set a perfect tone for what i was about to experience for two and a half hours dude it's also you, I know there was a falling out and everyone knew it going into this movie, but Megan Fox is gone. Now, Megan Fox is not holding this franchise together. You needed to like hire someone of equal or better value though. And it got way worse. It got way worse, bro. And I'm going to say, she has an accent <laughs> and I'm going to say not the actress's fault. I'm going to say like, I don't know who could have replaced Megan Fox in that situation and come out unscathed. Um, but she is written as very much like she is the exact same as Megan Fox's character, except like you said, international and has like genuine adult responsibilities. And like, she has a job and authorization. Um, but otherwise it's just, Oh, Sam, I love you. Oh, Sam, let me help you save the world. Oh, Sam, I love that we're working with the Autobots. Like, whatever. Dude, uh, okay, I have a couple gripes with her. And uh, sorry to be coming for you, Rosie Huntington Whitley, but uh, this is her first acting credit. She's a model, but this is her first acting credit, and it's rough. And then, so that's, that's, that is partly her fault. I will say the writing is horrendous. Yeah. She gets mad at her boyfriend for having robots in her apartment when, by the way, she didn't know the Autobots were real. And she's like, how could you bring them to my house? I'm like, you just found out they were real and that he wasn't lying. And you're freaking out that they brought him here. Like, this is always one of those things that we just talked about this not too long ago of I can't tell my parents. Like in the last episode, I can't tell my parents the Autobots are here because they'll freak out. And I'm like, yeah, they're Autobots. This is like way bigger than getting in trouble with your parents. So the fact that she was freaking out about her apartment because Autobots were there, I'm like, hey, the world's in danger, woman. Get your priorities straight. It was so annoying. Also, the fact that the whole, a lot of this movie is based on the fact that he doesn't have a job. Shia LaBeouf. Oh my God. Doesn't have a job. And a lot of this movie, the whole first act is he doesn't have a job and he's jealous that his girlfriend is getting all this free stuff from Patrick Dempsey, a.k.a. Grey's Anatomy, the guy. McDreamy. 
Yes. It's annoying how this guy has saved the world two movies in a row and he can't find a job. And his parents are holding it over his head. I'm like, hey, ya boy, save the world. Get over it. It's like that whole subplot pissed me off. Um, okay. So let's talk about the plot for this movie. I'm gonna do my best to make it quick. Um <laughs> They found ro- complex. They found robots <laughs> on the moon. Um, the OG robots. Yeah. And basically the whole reason we've never gone back to the moon is because there's this alien ship there and we don't want anyone else seeing it. Um, hey, guess what? After the events of Transformers movies, this robot spaceship starts to act up a little bit. And one thing leads to another and they basically activate a derelict Autobot named Sentinel Prime. He was the leader of the Autobots before Optimus. And so Optimus is like, hey, dude, you rule. Let's hang out. And then while they're hanging out, they get tracked down by the Decepticons because the Decepticons want Sentinel Prime. And gang, here's the plot twist. Sentinel Prime is working for the Decepticons. And he's like, hey, gang, the Decepticons are going to win no matter what. I'm teaming up with them. Sorry. Sorry, guys. You guys got to beef it. And then they fight it out. Did I miss anything? Yeah. Um, The whole point is their tr- Sentinel has created a device that teleports wherever he originally had it set up to here, to Earth. And they are he's trying to get all the rest of... What are they called that are not Autobots Decepticons? Well, the, their he, race. He tries to teleport the entirety of Cybertron the entire race. to Earth. Yeah. So every living being on Cybertron is going there. Everything that exists on there is now coming to his planet. So there's like aliens falling out of the sky. So he invented this device and he needs these things called columns. Whereas the Decepticons have like 450 of them. And because uh, it creates like a force field around the world. And then the Autobots have five. So he needs the columns. The Decepticons had the columns. But the only way to get Sentinel to Earth was the Autobots had to activate them. Because Optimus got the leader mate- leadership matrix in the last movie. And because he got the leadership matrix, he can revive anything. So he revived Sentinel because he was previously dead. And then the Sentinels, now, then the Decepticons can work with Sentinel. But they couldn't previously because he was dead. Now, that's good writing. Because they're using a device that was in the previous movie. It's bad writing because we just skipped over the fact that they were on the moon for the first two movies. And we're going to bring it up now because it's convenient and we need a plot for a third movie. Like, what the heck? Also, I've seen this movie before. I'll, I'll say this. I've not only seen this movie before. I saw this movie and the movie after this in theaters. Um, I don't remember Sentinel being the bad guy. And then as soon as it happened, I'm like, I fell for it again. <laughs> I fell for it again. And I'm mad about it. Because it does, like, it adds more conflict when there was already plenty of conflict. Yeah, like, to an extreme degree. Um, Everything was going wrong. We did not need more. So, I have f- voiced my frustrations with Shia LaBeouf in these movies. I do not have the same wool pulled over my eyes when it comes to Shia LaBeouf in these movies that other people seem to have. Um, this was the yeah, worst like one. <laughs> this this was the worst one. He is so annoying. This is the Tokyo Drift. He, <laughs> this is the Tokyo Drift. 
he's not only is he annoying he's just he serves the least amount of purpose right in the previous two movies like the dna of dan witwicky is like kind of important but in this one it's not it's um they're just kind of like we're the ones you're the one that we trust sam witwicky and then they what i it just i he's irrelevant is what i'm getting at i don't like him um this was a billion dollar movie yeah they all are this is a billion dollar movie and age of extinction is a billion dollar movie it's making me mad because <laughs> I hate both of these movies. I used the profit margin on the on Transformers The Last Night as a source in a college research project because I'm like, this movie's bad and it still made a billion dollars. Um, it's, it's like, it just shows you like, what does this even mean? Yeah. Is this a trilogy? Because it's not a, tr- is it? I guess it's a trilogy because it's the three movies Shia LaBeouf's in. Yeah. But like there's no closure at all. Um, um you so you were talking about in Revenge of the Fallen how the whole movie is just Sam getting lucky where it's just convenience after convenience after convenience. Um that's yes. how I felt about this movie specifically with the government. This movie beca- dude it this whole movie is just well the I mean, just the circumstances doesn't make sense. It you never forget that you're watching a movie in this. Yeah. You're like, oh, that would never happen. That would never happen. That so, would never happen. That would never happen. Dude, there's like a showdown in Chicago again for some reason. Maybe Chicago's giving them like huge tax breaks and letting them film in the streets because it's almost <laughs> in Chicago. And the like the military's blowing stuff up and they're like, we have to make our way to the center of the city. It's this whole movie's gibberish. So none of it makes sense. So let's talk about the convenience factor for a second here, because in the first movie, like the government seemed pretty helpless when it came to understanding um, the Cybertrons. Yes. In every subsequent movie, the government has another very relevant piece of Cybertron knowledge in every movie that they just happen to share. And the thing that like, really got me in this one is there's a plot point where the public no longer trusts the Autobots. It's like a Superman scenario where like, yeah, these guys are powerful, but are they also bringing in powerful enemies? Um, and, and so as a defense maneuver, the transfer, the Autobots go back into space. And, but Sam's like, wait a minute, how'd you find a spaceship to get them back into space? And NASA's is just like, Oh, We've had this Cybertron ship for a few decades now. And I'm like, oh, did you? Oh, did you really have like the perfect ship to send them away? And it's relevant now? Three movies later? Dude, that was super annoying. And then also, dude, I'm just sick and tired of them just introducing new Autobots. And we're just not going to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Because again, in the first movie, they make it feel a lot like these are the six Autobots. They are the f- they are the last of their race. They make up like the final few of the Autobots. And then every other movie, it's like, all right, bring in four more. All right, bring in four more. And we're just not even going to talk about it. And in this movie, they briefly talk about it because they're like, all right, because th- then they get sent away. The Decepticons uh, are negotiating with the government being like, hey, we won't completely wreck you. If you send the Autobots away. So they put the Autobots on the ship. And then briefly they talk about, oh yeah, this is the ship that the new Autobots came on. 
what? What? Because we recognize there's new Autobots, but we didn't know we were going to get a BS explanation. They're like, oh yeah, they just came. From where? How did they know to come here? Why did they come here? Like, there's no, none of this makes sense. And then that's when the whole tomfoolery comes, which by the way, none of us believed. Not a single person on Earth believed that the Autobots were destroyed in the whole Skyscream uh, rocket attack. I mean, I kind of No did. one believed that. I mean, I kind of did. Dude, well, okay. Now, I mean, like, I didn't believe, like, I'm like, I didn't think they you were You thought dead. all the Autobots were destroyed? No, I didn't think that. But okay. but I let the movie do what I want, what it wanted to do. I didn't get, like, hung up on it. Um, So, I will say, this movie, I think, has the noticeably best action. I really liked the Battle of Chicago. Um, And especially, like, Optimus's final battle where like he takes Sentinel down execution style and it's kind of sick as hell. And then yeah. and then when he fights Megatron in this cuz he fights Megatron in all of them, he yeah, like there has to be a showdown. He like takes his skull and then rips his spine out from his metal chassis. And I'm like, the fact that both of those things happened back to back was very cool. Okay, can we talk about the only reason that Prime didn't get freaking bodied is because Shia's girlfriend talked to Decepticon. Oh my god, yeah! And she's like, oh, you think you're going to be in charge? Obviously, Sentinel's going to be in charge. And then Sentinel's... And then, then the leader of the Decepticons comes, and although he's been having a mortal battle with Optimus, saves Optimus to fight Sentinel... Beat Sentinel, and now Optimus is fresh to beat him. Now, nothing in my world made me more angry than finding a way for the girlfriend to become relevant, and then it working on a <laughs> superior being, like Megatron. And Megatron saved his enemy, and then gets destroyed by Optimus. That whole sequence made me angry. It doesn't make sense. I would like to talk about someone who we have not talked about to the best of my knowledge yet. And this is the last chance we have to talk about him. And that is Josh Demel. Um, yep. <laughs> so Josh Demel also found Cybertrons in the first movie. He's been in all three of these movies. Every time we complain about like a very heavily military section of the movie, Josh Demel is in those scenes. Now, and Tyrese Gibson comes back. Yeah, Tyrese Gibson is also in these movies. He is less <laughs> relevant than ever. Um, <laughs> Dude, he's not even in the military when the beat when this starts. He's just like working on the rocket. He's a construction guy. <laughs> it's just not. I Tyrese Gibson is literally an afterthought in these movies. But it got to the point yeah. in this movie. Where I felt like Josh Demel was the only person acting. Everyone else was just showing up and saying lines. Josh Demel, I feel like, was the only person still giving in all of his effort. And I want to commend him for that. Because when you are an actor and you do not see the other stars of your movie, your whole point in the movie is to direct and order around squadrons of faceless soldiers. That's tough to do. And Josh, you did good. I was happy when I saw you in this movie. You were a beacon. Are you are you telling me you didn't like John Turturro's performance of Simmons and leading his sidekick Dutch, which was there for comedic relief, 
and was completely useless. This was the character they introduced to solve all their problems. They didn't feel like writing, feel like writing their way out of. Like, well, how do we hack it? I don't know. Dutch can do it. Well, how do we get out of this Mexican standoff? I don't know. Have Dutch do some crazy spy stuff. Well, how do we talk to this uh, person we can't speak the language? I don't know. Have Dutch speak the language. It was all, dude, it was useless. It, it, it made me mad. This whole movie, I was just angry. And it's two hours and 35 minutes of me just being mad. Guys, this movie just ends. Like... Yeah, it does. There's no epilogue. There's no conclusion of thoughts. Like, uh, Optimus rips out Megatron's spine. Um, Sam and his girlfriend hug it out, and they might kiss a little bit. And then Optimus says, like, six lines of inspirational voiceover, and then it fades to black. That's not a good way to wrap up a trilogy, Mike. He didn't write it. I guess it's not entirely his fault. But let me tell you, technical effects, nominated for three Oscars. Yeah, no, like I said, the action scenes are very good. They, this, I think these are my favorite action scenes in the in the franchise so far. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna give this a four point seven five. Okay, you like this more than Revenge of the Fallen? Yes. Marginally. Marginally. I'm giving this a four point two five. I gave it a four and a half, and then we talked about it, and I realized how mad this movie made me. I didn't like. <laughs> It's not a three, because on our list, three is a bad movie and many, many things went wrong. A four for me is there are flaws that are hard to overlook, but I enjoyed a part or two from it. I enjoyed a part or two from this movie. <laughs> so it got off on a technicality. I'm giving it a 4.25. Transformers Age of Extinction. Oh my gosh, this freaking movie, dude. I'm gonna, <laughs> I can sum this one up very fast. Um... Nobody likes the Autobots anymore because of the Battle of Chicago. And the government hires a Decepticon to hunt them down Star Wars Inquisitor style. And during this process, Stanley Tucci is a very rich, rich man who is researching what is called the Seed. The Seed is what we thought was the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. What it actually was, was a device from Cybertron that turned the entire planet effectively into a material called Transformium, which is what all the Cybertrons are made out of. And so Stanley Tucci has this seed that can turn the whole planet into metal. And hey, guess what? The Decepticons want it. And Optimus doesn't want that to happen. That's the movie. I understand that way more. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of, this is the movie where like, Everyone said, hey, we love Transformers, so let's put as many as freaking possible in this movie. (laughs) That's like when people are like, oh, people love superheroes. Let's just give everybody superpowers. That's exactly what happened in this movie. It gets out of control. It's hard to tell who the regular bad guys are versus the the like named bad guys. Um, There's a lot of bad humans in this. There's a lot of just enemies. Yes. So like it was hard to tell which was the main one. Because Stanley Tucci's a bad guy. Then Kelsey Grammer, um, who plays like the CIA liaison, is a bad guy. Then Titus, who only plays bad dudes <laughs> in movies, uh, plays James Savoy, who's like... Uh, he, he's like Kelsey Grammer's right muscle. hand. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he's also the bad guy. And then there's the coolest 
freaking auto, the coolest freaking Decepticon, the Lamborghini Aventador, otherwise called Lockdown. So he's so freaking cool. <laughs> now you want to talk about. Uh, a movie setting its tone quickly. The movie starts with a scene of Lockdown hunting down an Autobot. And after he hunts... It's Ratchet, the- right? Is it? Oh, yeah, you're right. It no, is Ratchet. Ratchet. No, I don't. I think they go after one, kill him, cuts to Ratchet, kills him. In the yeah. first 20 minutes, they kill two of them. But after Lockdown kills one, he transforms into that Lamborghini. But it happens off screen. We see him crouch they cut to the humans a bunch of machine sounds happen and then it cuts over to the lamborghini which is wild because i think that's the only time that has happened in the franchise thus far and it doesn't happen again so i'm curious if that was just like the one shot that they didn't have the budget for and they're like it's at the beginning of the movie they won't remember yeah dude because there's a scene so um Mark Wahlberg's in this movie. And when Mark Wahlberg is introduced to a movie, everybody's getting recast. Not a single person is holding a job. <laughs> We're not reusing one character. So all the people we just got done talking to you about for the last three movies, none of them are in this movie. I genuinely think one. Peter Cullen and Hugo Weaving are the only two people to transfer over because they play Optimus and Megatron, respectively. Yeah, the voice actors. The voice actors kept their jobs. But even then, it's now, only two Mark of them. Mark Wahlberg, yeah, is a dad and an inventor. And a dad and inventor in Texas. Now, let me tell you, it's unbelievable. And I'm not saying unbelievable like amazing. I'm saying no one believes that Mark Wahlberg is an inventor. Yeah. Now, one person says, hey, Mark Wahlberg is a tinkering kind of guy in Texas when he doesn't change his accent and we don't address it. What's crazy the most about it is at no point does he need to be an an inventor. It, it, it would be the exact same movie if they just said mechanic instead. Because... Yes, it would be so much more believable if it was mechanic, dude. So much more believable. And it's frustrating. And this is the movie that I found out. I made the connection. That the last three Transformers movies all involve Optimus either dying for real, faking his death, or temporarily dying. Like, why does yep. Optimus have to die so much? It's 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 getting old at this point. Yeah, dude. It's weird. Uh, also, I will say that I think the only reason Mark Wahlberg... I mean, he just needs... To, he's poor in this movie. He's just poor. And then TJ Miller's in there for comedic relief, and he does a great job of comedic relief. Like, he's actually funny. I liked him. Um, his daughter, Mark Wahlberg's, by the way, is one of the most obnoxious people in this movie. And her and boyfriend you get introduced is to her also boyfriend. bad. <laughs> Let's break down this also relationship. rough. Because... Um, so he, I almost don't want to talk about it because it makes me uncomfortable. So he, <laughs> yeah. So the boyfriend is older than the daughter. And um, she is 17. And Mark Wahlberg is like, hey, my daughter's a minor. Please don't date her. And he is like, don't worry. We're protected by the Romeo and Juliet clause, which in shorthand basically means as long as you start dating before both of you, before either of you are overage, then you can continue to date, you know, with that gap of um age and and it's it's not illegal if one of you is a minor and one of you is not um and i hope you're about to talk about what i think about to talk about he has it 
laminated. The state (laughs) code that declares this law is laminated in his wallet. And he whips it out and shows it to Mark Wahlberg like it's a college student's first condom that he put in his wallet. And what's weird is he reads... He forgets that this is this chick's dad. He reads out the number of the state code and it's the wrong one he says like 2704 or whatever and then on the subtitles and on the card itself it says a different number and like it's just small things like that and it wouldn't be a big deal if they didn't go out of their way to give us the closest shot of this piece of information as possible it it felt like such a glaring overlook also it doesn't make you like this guy because they're in love. It makes you think, oh, this guy is a certified creep. He's having a conversation about what's consensual, what's not consensual with the chick's dad. This is her father. And this dude tries to pull rank on her father every opportunity he gets. And gang, that was that n- never works because... What happens, he has several lines where he says something to the effect of, I'm not going in there to save your daughter. I'm going in there to save my girlfriend. Like, that is so not important. Dude, I hate, here's the thing. I still hate him. I don't care that he's a professional driver. I don't care. He even says like, dude, I've never driven this good in my entire life. Just shut up and drive. It's, I hated him the entire time. He was irredeemable. And... I hated his daughter the whole time. She was irredeemable. Now, you might think, oh, well, they saved Optimus Prime's life by pulling a sword out of his chest with a tow truck. And then Optimus could save Cade's life. That's Mark Wahlberg's character. Could save Cade's life because they saved it. But I tell you, the only reason they were doing that is because freaking plot armor and Michael Bay wrote it that way or whoever wrote this. But I'm telling you, that's... It, it does it was out of character for them to save him it was out of character it was these guys are irredeemable they're hard to watch the acting's trash the writing's trash there's no depth there's no character growth you just hate them the whole time and at the very end mark Wahlberg's like just take care of her i don't even like you but please just take care of her that was Which a is, cool by moment. the way I, I'm just over it. Okay. And I think that was the only cool moment because we thought Mark Wahlberg was going to die. Sure. We liked it because we're like, that's a good, I'm glad Mark Wahlberg said that and not, oh, we forgive this kid. No, th- you still suck. He would have said that to anybody who was dating his daughter. Yeah. And it's not you. He was about to die and you were the last person there to take care of his daughter. So he was like passing the reins to the next eligible dude. So I, th- I, I liked Mark Wahlberg towards the end more than I did in the beginning. And I hated those two just the same. <laughs> also, Bumblebee is in freaking 15 minutes of this movie, and it made me mad. He's in less and less of these movies. So I hope he's in freaking Bumblebee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I God, would dude, like to talk about an mad. opinion that we differ on, where we talked about TJ Miller okay. and how he's the comedic relief in this movie. Let's be clear. He's the comedic relief for yes. 15 minutes of this movie. And then his character, and <laughs> yeah. I'm not exaggerating, blows up in a fiery explosion. And, and I wouldn't know. I would say he doesn't blow up. He gets turned into a molten statue. 
you're right. He got last crusaded. Um, but also, wasn't it because like he got tangled up in something? Oh yeah, like he tripped I feel like on he a got cord. Trapped in a seatbelt. No, that was that. Yeah, was, uh, but and then lockdown freaking turns him into a rock. And so I do not think T.J. Miller is very funny. I just don't like his style of comedy. So when I saw him Mm. roll up on screen, I was so upset. And then when I watched him turn into a (laughs) skeleton, I'm like, never mind. This movie has potential once again. And apparently Michael Bay. Yeah, he dies early. And apparently Michael Bay didn't like him either and would like yell at him on set and be like, I can still cut you out of this movie. You are not important to this movie. If you do not tell good jokes, I will not have you in the final cut. And I'm like, first of all, damn, you shredded this poor man. <laughs> and second, of everybody chill, man. And second, I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, um, so Stanley Tucci, the only person that can do no wrong. Did, I liked him in the third act, hated him before that. Sure. When he was playing a bad guy, I was real annoyed. When he was just like, all right, I'm going to be part of the good guys, then I liked him. Because then he could be funny, he was more relaxed. But then also, we really pulled his romantic interest out of nowhere. <laughs> it was weird. Uh, like, you don't even know her name. She's just like, all around. And she, you know she works for him, or they have a relationship. And I'm just like, where did this come from? Just because you're a good guy doesn't mean you can get the girl in the end. And that's exactly what happened. He gets the girl in the end. <laughs> um, Do you know what we haven't talked about yet? What have we not talked about yet? Dinosaurs. <laughs> so, I mentioned earlier how the seed was what originally killed the dinosaurs. That's a slight mistruth because it didn't kill all the dinosaurs per se. It did turn some of them into Cybertrons. And so <laughs> Optimus has to go down into the Valley of the Dinosaurs, I guess, and fight against one of them in a trial by combat. And then when he wins, he rides to Chicago on the back of a dinosaur. And I'm going to be honest. It was kind of sick. It was kind of cool. I was down with that. I also, I do, I do you know what else I forgot? Lockdown. There's a, this movie's two hours and 45 minutes long. There's a lot going on. Lockdown takes Optimus and Optimus. Oh, and Cade's daughter. And then they break him out. Lockdown leaves. Lockdown realizes they broke out, comes back for him. And uh, Optimus goes apparently these dinosaurs like the original primes and then he releases them and that's when they turn into dinosaurs so all that i don't know why i even told you that it's all semantics this movie doesn't need to happen half this movie doesn't doesn't make any sense it's just like for fun there's a shootout with a guy what's the uh, autobot with a beard uh it was like junk or scrap or something like that oh dude i really don't want to have to look this up like the super militaristic either way he's smoking a bullet yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Smoking a bullet for, like, forever. And um, that whole scene of him just, like, holding people off, he's, like, there's, like, 30 minutes of him holding people off and, like, slowly running out of bullets, which is crazy because I still don't understand where they got these freaking bullets from. I don't get it. Where's this metal coming? Are you, where, where are you getting this ammo from? Like, they were, we've talked about this before, and it still makes me mad. They're shooting human bullets just big. The fact that these guys are made out of metal and run out of ammo. It's so crazy. It's like, it's buck wild. Um, I, 
Oh, there was also a really cool lockdown talking about like lockdown being cool. Um, he had a really cool intro to like one of the fight sequences where he like descends with a huge ship behind him, like Thanos and Endgame. And then when he lands on the bridge they're fighting on, his whole head turns into a gun. And I'm like, all right, that was pretty cool. <laughs> what a way to make an entrance. Yeah, dude, it was lockdown was dope. Yeah. And then you find out, like, also, of course, I mean, I don't even need to say it, but the Decepticon leader's back. Uh, yeah. Megatron. They gave him a new name, though. comes back. Yeah. Couldn't tell you what it is. Galvatron. We all know it's Megatron. Galvatron. Um, so Megatron comes back because they used Megatron's DNA to make more Autobots. Which, um, hey, guess what? And that's not, Doesn't work out. <laughs> Doesn't work. So they turn Mega, they turn the new guy, Galvatron, he keeps turning into Megatron. And now we have a new Megatron, even though he's Galvatron. I'm sure that will come back in this next movie, which I am so thrilled to watch, of course. <laughs> um, I don't even know, dude. What else is there to talk about? Um, It's two hours and 45 minutes. There's so much to this movie and none of it matters. Yeah. So <laughs> none of it matters. I'm talking about the cool stuff because I'm gonna rate this movie a little higher than the other ones. Um, the scene when Optimus comes out of hiding at the beginning of the movie, you watch him scan a new truck, become a new truck, and then t- uh, uh, return his paint job like sleeker and cooler than ever before. It's just like this movie has a lot of little moments like that where they really let the Transformers do some cool stuff. And it's in those little details. And it's what makes the details they get wrong so frustrating because this movie has cool details. So I can point to something and be like, you guys had it in you. Where was this? Where was this when... Mark Wahlberg said that the elevator had too much weight on it. And then when he gets off, it shows a shot of how much the weight capacity is. And it's like 2,800 pounds. I just... <laughs> it's crazy. Also, he's shooting a sword gun. Which, and like, dude, he's wrecking Lockdown with that thing. Yeah. Single-handedly taking out Lockdown. I'm like, you are telling me his weakness was lasers. <laughs> And he's been getting shot at this entire time. It's crazy. (laughs) And just nobody hit him. It's crazy how Mark Wahlberg was more effective in combat in one movie than Shia LaBeouf was in three. (laughs) Yeah, it made you think that like humans stood a chance when we all know they can't. But for some reason, Mark Wahlberg is special. And that made me mad. (laughs) Yeah. You should die. The fact that you're still alive. Also... Humans don't die in this movie. Correct. Except for the one time Titus freaking falls from the <laughs> 20th story. <laughs> but like robots don't kill humans in this. Oh my like, God. Like no man character dies. But I will say it does give Optimus his coldest line in the movie, that perspective, because the people hate the Autobots in this movie. They hate them. And so because the Autobots get so mistreated, at the end of the movie, Optimus is like, after this, you guys are on your own. I've met a bunch of you guys, and only four of you don't actively want to kill me. I give up. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I don't blame you. Yeah, dude, for real. And I'm like, I I know you're going to come back because there's way more movies coming out, but I'm like, he's getting killed or almost killed every single movie. This is movie four. He's like, I'm out. This is not fun anymore. (laughs) 
So this movie did not need to be two hours and 45 minutes. Um, the casting in this movie is very hit or miss. Even the hit actors have weak moments. Um, there are cool moments of it, but it's outweighed heavily by the lack of attention the rest of this movie brings forth. So with that in mind, five and of 5.25. Okay. I'm giving it a four and a half. Okay. You said that like you I, had to put it down. Human characters. I'm good. Yeah. I'm giving it a four and a half. The human characters were unbearable. Um, Lockdown was freaking cool, but he's gone for like a long time. There's too many bad guys in this movie. Everybody's a bad guy. Um, And I don't like, I mean, I've just, I've said everything I don't like. This, they are getting worse. But the worseness is slowing down. I don't see how they could get much worse, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, For the back half of this episode, we're going to keep it semi-casual. We're going to pretty much just do a moonlighting segment until we get sick of it. Um, And who knows when that'll be. I'm going to start with... Yeah. I'm going to start with the big one, Across the Spider-Verse. Um, yes. I love the first into the spider-verse movie um it's my favorite movie of all time i have it on my name tag at work i adore this movie the second movie is for all intents and purposes just as good i'm gonna start with the faults up first in the sense that it is not a complete story it is the first of two parts and because of that, it ends on a cliffhanger in not a great spot in the story. I would have shifted it a little bit before or a little bit after. And because of that, like I kind of walk out wanting more, but not in the way that mm -hmm. I anticipate. <clears throat> but past that, near perfect. The like the animation is gorgeous. I love all the spider like yeah. none of the Spider-Men feel like they are crowding. Or they are all the Spider-Man are in as much of this movie as they need to be in, which is a very difficult thing to nail down when you have like effectively are there more? seven main characters. Um, okay, seven. I'm trying to think of how many were in the first one. It was Noir, Pig, Gwen, Main One, OG One. Uh, yeah, right around that. And then they add well, they added like one or two more in this one. So this one does not feature oh, the robot one as well. Yeah. So this one does not feature the exact same cast. So it's Miles, Gwen, and Peter. Peter B. And then <laughs> And um, then three new guys. Yeah. So there's um Spider-Man India. There's Okay. Spider-Man 2099 and um, Spider-Woman, Jessica that. Drew. And I feel like I'm missing one. Oh, and Spider-Punk. So they add like five okay. characters to the, to the ensemble. Um, the, it is so crazy how this movie is just like how it affects me visually. Because that's what I walked away from this more than anything else. I like the story. I like the characters. But like the production of this movie is what makes it stand out above everything else. And there is not mm -hmm. a second of this movie where I'm like not impressed by the animation. And it's by simple things. Like there's a there's a shot of Gwen and Miles hanging out on like one of those like stone gargoyle things. And yeah. the camera tracks Gwen as she walks from the top to hanging off the bottom. And she just walks around and the camera follows her as she does that. And it is such a simple 
shot where the visual impact it makes is like you're watching a world literally turn upside down as she just sits on the other side of a gargoyle. And it's little production stuff like that that makes this movie really stand out. I will be watching it again, not anytime soon. I want to watch it before the end of the year again. It's just that this movie is two hours and 20 minutes. So I want to buckle down. Um, so that's kind of the big thing I want to talk about when it comes to this is I love the characters. I love this movie, but like the reason why I love it is the way it celebrates its uniqueness. Um, I give it a flat nine. I've heard it. People say it's just as good as the first one. If you like the first one, you'll like this one. Yeah. This one. Good enough for me. (laughs) This one takes a little bit longer to get going. Um, it has a lot of family moments. This movie spends a lot of time telling us how Miles is struggling between balancing Miles and Spider-Man. So it takes a while to get the action started. But once it gets going, like the climax of this movie is like 45 minutes long and it's nonstop action. And so it's, it's like I said, nine out of 10. That's awesome, dude. That's so cool. I watched four kids movies this week. I'm so excited. And I'm going to start off by talking about the B movie. (laughs) Okay, B-movie, controversial choice. Um, I've been watching Seinfeld, as our audience knows. Um, That is one of the only ways you should consume Jerry Seinfeld. I would say that and Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Seeing him in the B-movie is off-putting. Because, like, his character comes off as, like, a late teen, early 20s, like, entering the workforce. And Jerry's a grown man voicing this character. And you can tell... And it's off-putting. This movie should have ended... Okay, this movie is an hour and 30 minutes long. It should have ended after an hour. Um, Because what ends up happening is he wins the case. uh, Because obviously bees can talk. And he talks to a human. And she helps him go to the Supreme Court. And basically sue humans for using their honey against their consent. That's when the movie should have ended. That's about an hour in when he wins the case. Game over. The last half, maybe 40 minutes of the movie, are... um, Bees stop working because they got their honey back and the planet starts to die because it needs pollinators. And now Barry the bee has to go fix it because apparently he ruined it and everybody resents him for ruining the world. Even though all bees were behind them, behind the lawsuit. It's just the last 40 minutes is when this movie goes downhill fast. And it, you know, in the end, they work out a partnership where they work like... They're getting compensated, but they're still working, so the planet doesn't die. But all of it seems like, all right, this is like a joke that Jerry had, a premise that went on too long. And now, like, all right, the analogy is expired. Why are we still talking about this? I get it. It's At the end of the day, guys, this is not real, so we didn't need to talk about the planet dying. But I'm glad we explored it because you needed more film time. It's okay. Unfortunately, most of the characters are bees, which seem very friendly, and now Willow wants to watch it all the time. So, I'm not going to, but I have to constantly say no. <laughs> I'm over this movie. I don't want to watch it again. It's not a bad movie. It's just a nothing movie. I'm going to give it a five and a half. I watched Fast X. <sighs> I'm so excited. I want to watch it so bad. Alex, it's a good one. Um... So, it's crazy because the cast of this movie is so stacked, right? Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Brie Larson, Helen Mirren, um, Jason Momoa, John Cena. Like, charismatic dynamos. (laughs) It's 
crazy. Mm. And like, it's exactly what you expect from a Fast and Furious movie. Um, The action, I will say, in this one is way less like wildly unbelievable as it was in F9. So if your problem with F9 was too much of like cars penduluming themselves off of a bridge, this movie has less of that. Um, However, they do roll a bomb through the Vatican. So it is not completely devoid of absurdity. Um, This is, I think, the best natural progression this franchise is taking. I think they set up a very good finale and it's going to take two more movies to do it. But this was a good setup for that. A healthy mix of fast and furious action with, we got to set up a a, a story to wrap us up. It does both of those things very well. So seven and a quarter. Did you like it more or less than nine? You said it was a different movie. The action is a little different. Did you like it more than nine? Um, I have not seen nine since I saw it in theaters. So I'm going to say comfortably about the same, just for different reasons. Oh, I will say news headlines have been spoiling a character's return to the franchise. And I was super frustrated about that until I watched the movie and the movie ends with a way better character returning to the franchise. Like to the point where when I saw it, I like kind of got excited. So, um, okay. I can't think about it too much. Now I'm going to be wondering. Yeah. So it was fun. I liked it. Dude, are you over the memes of it's about family? Yeah. I'm like, you guys don't even watch the movies. You don't watch them. I saw so many people complaining about Fast 10, like before this movie came out. Like so many people were ragging on its, like just doing the same tired, hacky jokes of like, how much further can this franchise go? Blah, 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 blah. Who's even watching these movies? It's so unrealistic. Guys. They make a billion dollars every time. Obviously, people are watching them. Like I- It's making me mad. I'm like, guys, I enjoy the movie. It's, it's just like, hey, it's more than a meme. Shut up. Yeah. Like, get over it. It's so annoying. I'm like, you haven't even watched them. Whatever. I just wonder what your thoughts were. What do you got? <sighs> I hate talking about this. I watched Open Season. Dude, I remember um, this one. <laughs> open Season is about a domesticated bear um, voiced by Martin Lawrence who meets a deer with one antler voiced by Ashton Kutcher. And through a bunch of miscommunication, uh, the bear gets released into the wild. And I, I honestly mean miscommunication. Like it's all a misunderstanding. And then they're getting hunted. And through a bunch of weird events and just accidents. It's This is one of those movies that like, I couldn't even tell you what, how they get from one thing to another because it's all an accident. Nothing's done on purpose. Nothing's done maliciously. It's all just like kids movie. Oh, I guess that happened. Um, and they get to a point where they're hunted and then all the animals in the forest have to band together to, to defeat the hunter. Um, and then uh, the bear becomes, the domesticated bear becomes more um, close, has a better relationship with the deer and decides he's going to stay in the wild. I don't even know how it ends. It, it, I've I only seen the first one and I watched it like twice on cable. I watched Horton Hears a Who. Now, for those of you who don't remember this movie or don't know, aren't familiar with it from um, Dr. Seuss, this is about an elephant who finds a speck, which is where all the Who's from Whoville live. Now, you might know the Who's from Whoville from The Grinch. It's all canon 
maybe. May I to be honest, I don't know. But they reuse it and all the who's look like who's. Um they live on a tiny speck, like a fleck of dust. And the elephant can hear them because he's an elephant and he's got big ears. And no one else believes that there are people that exist on the speck, but through some weird acoustics now the elephant and the speck can communicate together. The the mayor of Whoville can can talk to him. And the whole story is about um, getting the fleck, which is right now on a flower, on a clover, which, by the way, looks nothing like a clover. It looks like a dandelion. But, you know, the land is called Noom, so they can play by their own rules. And the elephant has to take the speck on the clover to Mount Noom, which is safe. There's like a little cave for them to put for Horton to put the flower in and the who's will be safe. And of course, everyone thinks he's crazy because he's talking to a speck and they can't hear anything and he looks nuts. And then there's this um, kangaroo who we'll call Karen. That is not her name, but she acts like one. It's pretty close, I think. Oh, the sour kangaroo. Yes. And she is just like trying to convince the whole neighborhood that He's crazy and he's going to infect the minds of their children. And everybody buys into it until the Whoville, the Who's from Whoville make enough noise so that everyone can hear him. You sound so defeated from this. That's the whole movie. Here's the thing. It's tricky to talk about this movie because it is entertaining even though the premise is okay. But it is like Jim Carrey voices Horton and the mayor is voiced by Steve Carell. So like... It is entertaining. The humor is there. It is fun to watch. Dr. Seuss's world is entertaining. It's a very awesome movie, but when you explain it, it's not that awesome. I enjoyed it. It's cool. The creatures are cool. The character development is dope. What they do in the world is fun. It's entertaining. I enjoyed it. I liked it. Yeah, and so this was made by the same studio that would go on to do, like, Despicable Me and Minions and whatnot. You know, they've made all the rest of the Dr. Seuss movies. And I think this is honestly, like, the best representation of what that studio was before it got Minionified. And so it's interesting to go and see like this. I like this more than the Lorax. I like this more than... All the minions. This is a good movie. It's it's just weird because on paper, I think, I mean, Despicable Me, Minions, all that has performed better. But I think Horton, Here's a Who, is a better movie. Um, I'm, give, I'm giving it a flat seven. Rock on. I have a fun anecdote about that movie, which is I was in a production of Seussical Jr. when that movie came out. So mm-hmm. as a cast, we went to go see it. And I remember thinking... Oh no, this is so much better than the show than we're putting on. We may as well not do it at all. Which I think reveals a lot about my self-worth and self-confidence, even from a young age. Yeah. Um, but also my gross misunderstanding of the relationship between movies and children's theater. <laughs> oh no this movie's setting the expectations of children's theater so high that's genuinely what i thought um nah that movie and that's why that movie holds like a little bit of a special place in my heart is because of that memory um yeah what it holds up dude that's It, it honestly holds up and i bet i would maybe even enjoy it more now because now i know who jim carrey and steve carell and will arnett are you know yeah um dude it's good. It's got a great cast, but they're all voice acting, so you might not recognize their voices. I watched a movie called You Hurt My Feelings. It is a new movie with Julia Louise Dreyfus, 
And it's like, it is a lot of upper class humor comedy. It's very like wine mom comedy. Um, I did not like this movie. This movie is getting very well rated, but it's being well rated in the circles of the kind of people that would go see it. It's very filmy. It is a very filmy comedy. Um, my parents asked me to take them to this movie. So it was me, my parents and my brother. And none of us liked it. Oh, jeez, dude. So the premise of this movie is super fast. Julia Louise Dreyfus is a writer uh, and she is not selling very well. She's working on her first piece of fiction and she overhears her husband saying that he does not like the book that she's writing. But he also says it's not about if I like it. It's just to make sure that she likes it and she likes the book. So who am I to say that it's bad. And so Julia Louise Dreyfus overhears this and it ruins her attitude forever. She is so pissed off and offended by this, but refuses to talk to her husband about it. And so all the conflict in this movie is people refusing to talk about things. And when they do talk about them, the person on the receiving end is the worst active listener on the planet. At no point in this movie does somebody say, okay, how can I be better? Instead, they deflect it and give the person an example of when they also did that thing. So it was just so frustrating watching these people be so bad at communicating their feelings and that be the entire movie. The mm-hmm. the editing is also bad. Scenes would end before conversations were done. That didn't like that. Oh no. And was that a style choice or just like, oh that was just a bad decision? I think it was just a bad decision. I think they got all the important information out, so they just cut cut out the fluff. But hey, guess what? That fluff adds natural transitions to your scene. Um, And it also did this weird... This was a choice where the movie wouldn't always finish its jokes. It would do the setup and then like an actor would like make a face at another character and like we're supposed to fill in the rest of the joke, I guess. And it does that like three or four times. And I got to a point where I'm like, am I, do I need to get out like a pen and paper here? Do you need to finish this draft? And just no point of the movie was entertaining. The characters were incredibly irritable. Oof, ouch, owie, four out of 10. Dude, I've been getting so many ads from this because of Seinfeld. And I'm like, (laughs) I like her, but based off what you're saying, I'm already done. I'm not going to do it. Um, This is my last movie. and And it's my favorite one. I watched Ryan, the last dragon. Okay. This movie is so much better than Encanto. The fact that it lost <laughs> makes me mad. Yeah. It is so much better and it lost best animated picture. And I don't know why. I think this does, movie doesn't have music. So I think that gave Encanto, like the music in Encanto is good. And because this movie doesn't have music, they're like, well, we got to give it to the music one. But like the characters are better. The dialogue is better. It's just like so entertaining, bro. This movie. It's so cool. It. And like this is a very good movie to introduce your children to the concept of world building. This movie has like really cool lore and really cool history. And the movie lets you in on a lot of it. And it's cool to be a part of that journey. Yeah. It's just like, and yeah, it explains it. And you don't need to ask more questions. They explain everything. It's just cool. And by the way, you don't need to wait forever for stuff to happen. Like they just do a six years later and throw you a 
right back into the action. You don't have to wait. A lot of times it's like one year later, two years later. No, six years later, and that day, something happened. Everything's cool. And it's the right amount of emotion, and there's a right about Like, the bad... This movie does what Encanto does, is where the bad guy becomes the good guy. They're redeemed in the end. But this movie does it so much better. This movie... This movie's freaking sweet, bro. I love it. And I don't even want to spoil it if you haven't seen it. It's better than Encanto. There's no music, but there's like action. The fight scenes are dope. There's there's like, this is also very easy to watch from a family member perspective of not being the kid. But it holds up, bro. It's a banger. I think it should have won the Oscar. It should have beaten Encanto. I like it. I just like it more. It's got freaking, it's got like feelings, energies of like Avatar Last <laughs> Airbender. Okay. Because they have like their own tribes and stuff. And they broke up. They got separated. And now they're like fighting over a central thing. It's just fire. This movie will test your Aquafina tolerance though. <laughs> yes. That, if I had to say there was one thing wrong with it, is uh, it's, it's a lot of Aquafina. I will say towards the end, you get used to it. But the first couple lines, they were real rough because you expect the dragon to be all regal and stuff. And it's not, which is a great casting choice for Aquafina because you re- as soon as she starts talking, you're like, oh, this is not the character I was expecting. Nor was this the character the characters were expecting. They're like, oh, you're not what I thought of when I thought of a dragon that could talk. It, towards the end, it's much easier. It's much easier. And I was on board with all of it. I'm on, I'm on board with all of it. And I'm giving this movie a 7.75. All right. Rock on. Um, Our audience is going to go check the logs of when I watched Encanto and I, I gave it an 8. <laughs> I'm going to have to kill myself. <laughs> um, let's. Did I talk about Kingsman last week? No. Okay. I rewatched Kingsman. Um, and hey, guess what? I still like it a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, the main reason I'm bringing this up is because I have a friend that I met at work, and the first time we hung out together was we went to go see The King's Man, the prequel movie. And so, when we hung out a few weeks ago, I was like, "Do you want to watch the first Kingsman? You know, the one that I actually like." And he was like, sure. And then the second, Alex, I cannot stress this enough. The second before I hit play, he turns to me and goes, wait, 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 wait. This is like a historical fiction movie, right? And I say, no, and hit play. (laughs) And I thought that was a fun interaction. He's like, oh, I saw The Kingsman. It's going to be just like that, right? I'm like, no, you watched The Anomaly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Time so, to watch what this is all about. And you have to remember, we saw that movie a year and a half ago. And for the last year and a half, he thought that one of my favorite movies was a historical fiction movie. <laughs> and Wild. Yeah, and so I'm like, no, it's like a spy movie, like a James Bond movie. And he goes, oh, I, never, I did not guess that. Um This movie, uh, the thing I wrote about this was this movie imprinted on me on such an early age and the full consequences of that may never be fully understood. Yeah, I think it just, I think it just, it was right place, right time for you. Yeah, so that movie still rules. I remember rewatching it and I'm like, oh, this movie's good, but like, it's not God. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like 9.25 out of 10. I still love that movie. Um, all right, let's wrap this puppy up. Next week, 
Hey, guess what? More Transformers <laughs> movies. We got three more. Um, oh, jeez, bro. So it's The Last Night, Transformers The Last Night, which is the last Mark Wahlberg and also the last set-in-modern-day Transformer, and then Bumblebee, the 90s prequel, or the 80s prequel, starring Bumblebee. We'll see, bro. I'm just like, these are the movies... I haven't seen yet. Okay. So I'm hoping that like boosts them up a half a point just for like, oh, this is new to me. But the trend is not going looking down. great. We're trending bad. I'm, I, if we can get through this whole series and I don't give out a single thing in the threes, I'm going to count it as a win. I did not know this. I did not know this series is going to be worse than Terminator. <laughs> But that's next week. Until then, my name is Craig Wells, a.k.a. Permanent Handle. And I'm Alex Good, a.k.a. Alex Good. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. And while you're at it, tell your mama said hi. Bye. See you.